Isn't this Zippy? It's, it's Zippy here. Uh, hey, yeah. Zippy. What's up? What's up, uh, Duda? If I'm if I'm Zippy, you've got to be uh, Duda, right? That's racist. I is it? I I don't know. I don't know. Oh man. Oh Don. I'm I'm going. Oh Zippy. I, I'm going. I'm going with the name Zippy from here on out. I, so, I I'm going to do my best. Yeah, it's it's good. This is the the Zippy and Don show. Um, <laughs> for the listeners who are wondering, you know, what the hell's going on? Uh, I'm I'm. I've changed my name to Zippy because I was at a I was at an event this morning uh, where I met somebody named Zippy and I love it. I just love it so much that uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Zippy. For yeah, I mean, why not? Well, it's a cool. It's cool. Hey, it's so great name. Yeah, I, I'm in. I'm I'm recording in in my new house. This is the first time we've done a podcast in my new house. I think. Oh, it, it sounds uh it sounds kind of echoey, like it, uh, like all you are have around you are boxes and bare floors. I, I so have, I'm imagining in my in my mind. I, well, that's why I'm saying it because it is echoey, and I think it's because there's not, um, there's no like pictures on the wall. It's got, mm-hmm. it's not like an, a super echoey room, but there's no. I think I'm getting a lot of bounce from. There's a a, a big um, wall behind me that mm-hmm. has nothing on it, so it's not mm. absorbing any sound. So, yep. so but I'll I'll fix this uh, not in post, <laughs> but in next time when I will be assure I assure you. That I will uh, have some something on my on my walls to to well, deaden this echo. Well, you know what Dan Benjamin does, like when when he's in a situation like that, he goes uh, into a closet um, and he wraps blankets around the, like the walls of the closet to get the good the right acoustics. So well, he's, you're not he's a professional, Don. <laughs> Yes. This I'm, this is still amateur hour over here. Well, yeah, you and I are professionals. We're just not podcasting professionals. Correct. Correct. We are food safety professionals. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm just gonna go. I, you know what I think I can do is if I lean a little closer to the microphone, and then don't speak so loud. I think it's better now. I think it's it's a little bit better. I don't it's know. a little bit better, but it's okay. Um. So yeah. So anyway, I'm I, I'm now. Uh, I, we've chronicled my move. Uh, over mm. the history of uh, the podcast, and uh, the last couple of times we've recorded, it's definitely been in my office on campus because I uh, was talking uh, into a big stack of textbooks. But uh, but now I'm I'm here. I'm looking out over my backyard. I'm you know some uh, friends of the podcast. Uh, I'm I'm I've adopted that that term to make you happy. Thank but, you. Um, some of the you know friends of Food Safety Talk are going to be at my house tonight. Uh, and in the area that I'm overlooking in my backyard, um, and I've we we they we drop their names. I drop their names almost every podcast. But John John Luchansky and Anna Porta and Anna Portafet are coming to visit. Oh, and, and they're having yeah they're having dinner here. And then another one of my colleagues who I don't know if you know him. Um, he's a meat scientist. Uh, his name is Dana Hansen. Um, he's he's going to be here as well with his family um, because we are piloting something tomorrow uh together which is like a camp for kids on uh beef and food safety and grilling and using a thermometer and learning all about cuts of cuts of beef so they can take it home and make their parents better at at food safety oh i think we we've talked about this right? we have yeah so yeah. The, so the pilot is tomorrow um and we're going to be cooking stuff outside of outside of my building uh, but anyway, so people are coming so is here. is is uh, is Hanson gonna gonna sing? <laughs> Mbop, Mbop, Mbop. Yeah, I think so. he needs his two brothers there with him. <laughs> um, do you know that there was? Oh, I read on five thirty eight, one of my favorite 
websites. Mm-hmm. There is like you're uh, you're getting uh, you're getting um, some um, tappy tappy sounds like oh, uh, you're gosh. typing and it's uh, making your microphone uh, oh, no. tappy tap. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna have to do this so. quietly. Mm-hmm. Not like yeah. There, yeah, it's it. it's it's all it all sounds noisy. Oh, so gosh, oh, gosh. Um, well, I will. Uh, we're we're gonna have to. Uh, we'll adjust things. We'll, we'll learn for over yes. time. Um, yes. So, so, so you so you have uh, so you, so you don't have a boom mic, right? You have a uh, you have a stand mic. I got a stand mic because the uh, the boom mic. Um, Your kids swing on it and break they, it. They swing on it and break it. Uh, but I got a I got an option here, you know. And so those <laughs> you you and I know this because I I texted you about it. But I, we're gonna have a pause in the podcast at some point here um, because someone is coming to look at, at an apartment that we are renting. Uh, and, and can only unexplicably come at in between one and two today. Um, and so when that happens, I'm going to adjust my microphone situation. Cool. And, and unclick things. Um, cool. But so there's uh, Mbop. There was a Canadian like counterpart of Hanson that sang a very similar song. Um, and I, I will find it because it was some sort of five. Th- oh, here we go. 50 Canadian legendary song. Uh, no, I'll fi- I'll find it at some point here. Anyway, well, there there is some some very similar Hanson type song. Um. So Don. Uh, so you're. Let's just recap for the listeners. Your name is Zippy. Zippy you're here. renting an apartment. Um, you're in a mostly echoey room, <laughs> and you are typing on a keyboard that's making noises <laughs> on your microphone. All of this is true. This is going to turn out to be the best podcast ever. Oh, and and we have to pause the podcast. Don't forget that part. Right. We have to pause the podcast. Yeah. And I'm still getting over a cold uh, that I caught at the end of my AFP. So I will try to uh, I'll try to mute myself. Hey, so so speaking of recapping, um, uh, we I have some follow up um, from the last episode. Oh, tell me. Tell me what uh, what kind of follow up do you have? So do you remember in the last episode we talked? I think it was the last episode we talked about. Uh, Trichinella? I, yes, because, I the, because the episode was called uh, uh, Outbreaks Beginning with T or something right. like that. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I have some follow-up. Um, uh, oh, yes, this outbreak brought to you by the letter T. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Internet. Um, so, uh, there was, so there was some discussion about a um, uh, uh, not Toxoplasma gondii. That's the other T. That's the other T. a Trichina traced to walnut meat and Wal- walrus meat not walnut walrus. meat <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry we've been talking to uh the 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 nut queen and and the nut uh princess today and so i'm i'm all i'm all about the uh the nuts today but um yes so so and there was a something in the description of this outbreak was puzzling me right and do you remember what that was yeah so what that was was that uh, the description of how the product was uh, prepared, and so basically, the way that this this particular walrus meat was prepared, it's frozen, and it's frozen for an extended period of time, like a month. And, yeah, a month, right? And then it is dropped in boiling water, and then the outside is basically cooked, and the inside is raw. But the 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 question that we had, or the concern that we had, was well. We were all taught that uh, freezing kills trichina. Well, 
turns out that is not as true as you would like to think. And so there is – so I, I, I found an article, which we will link to in uh, show notes, and this is an article from uh, the journal – Veterinary Parasitology, published in the year 2000, um, and it is entitled uh, the International. It's a kind of, it's got a wonderful title. <clears throat> the International Commission on Trichinellosis: Recommendations on Methods for the Control of Trichinella in Domestic and Wild Animals Intended for for Human Consumption. And I'm going to see if I can find. Yeah, I've already highlighted it. So, so this is on uh, page 398 of the article. Freezing to inactivate Trichinella. In the absence of proper temperature and time control, time control and monitoring systems, processors and consumers of meat should ensure that cuts of meat up to 15 centimeters in thickness are frozen solid at least minus 15 degrees C for no less than three weeks, and cuts of meat up to 69 centimeters in thickness are frozen solid minus 15 degrees C, for no less than four weeks. The requirements for freezing apply to pork and horse meat, since game meats often harbor freeze-resistant types of trichinella that pose public health risks even after months or years of freezing. Okay? And so... That's so. So the, that's for pork and for horse. Okay, I mean, and and who knows who's eating horse out there? But but certainly Americans are eating pork. Um, so it's and it goes on to say the freeze-resistant trichina species have low infectivity for pigs, and such infections cannot be ignored in areas where these parasite species are endemic, i.e., northern latitudes. So what this is saying basically is the kind of trichina that you find in walrus. Um, they are going to be freeze resistant. And if you think about it, I'm just thinking about this now, it kind of makes sense because these are trichina, this, the types of trichina that are found where, where it's really where cold. It's cold. Exactly. Um, so, so, but also again, there's this recommendation about the thickness of the meat. So 15 centimeters, no less than three weeks and up to 69 centimeters, um, no less than four weeks. It doesn't say anything about pieces bigger than basically 69 centimeters. And who knows how big, uh, these pieces of walrus meat were, but a bottom line is that only works if you're freezing pork or horse. It does not apply to uh, walrus or any other um, animals that would have trichina from the northern latitude. So, I, I was really, I was really gratified that we could, I could actually find a solution to this, to this quandary, uh, which, which basically. Uh, so, and I learned something. I learned something new about uh, trichina. So, anyway, oh. just wanted to share that with you and the and the the listeners. Awesome. And I actually had some follow up from this that just arrived in my inbox yesterday as mm. well. From friend of the podcast and future visitor to my house, John Lachansky. All right. <laughs> Who said, in response. Is, he, is, is Anna Portafet going to be with him? She is. Do you want me to take a picture of the both of them? No, but, but the next time, because I, I know what she looks like now. The next time that, that uh, uh, you're there and Anna's there, I know Luchansky, right? Right. Uh, I want you to introduce me to Anna. I will. I will. Okay. Um, so, and I'll, I'll mention that to her when I see her uh, later Tonight. today. Yeah. Um, so, so John writes in response, and he didn't say, "Hey, freely use my name," but he's 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 cool like that. Um, in response to the quote, "I thought freezing for a month killed off trichina," I asked a friend slash expert and thought you might find their response of interest. So he doesn't say who it is, uh, and so I can't report who it is. But John's friend says there is a freeze-resistant species of trichinella uh, that occurs in the Arctic, T. nativa. It can survive for years in frozen meat and is suspected in the deaths of several members of 
one of the polar exploration parties early in the last century who regretfully dug up a frozen mastodon and ate it. Mm. Isn't that fantastic? Um, anyway, wow. they said, anyway, he says, okay, so it might not have been a mastodon, but it was something big and frozen, which they <laughs> ate raw because they were starving. T. nativa only occurs in northern latitudes and is the predominant species north of the Canadian border. So there you go. A little, little Canadian content. Uh, How about that? Of Turkina. So anyway, that's very, very cool that that um you know th- th- this curveball of hey how did these people uh get sick from what <clears throat> looks like they should have been controlled with frozen meat we've got we we, we have a solution here and uh, don't eat the frozen mastodon yep um if in, if you're in a search party or or walrus or walrus exactly no um, matter whether it's been frozen or boiled or anything yeah 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 right 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 so well, I suppose I suppose if they boiled it all the way through, right? But that's not the way that those folks like their walrus. They like it boiled on the outside and raw on the inside. I, I like my I like my, my walrus meat, uh, just you know, a little pink on the inside. Um, so I we the, speaking of follow up because that's uh, that's what we're doing. Um, I, there's a follow up that we received from uh, someone who was in the uh, studio audience uh, when we recorded our last podcast at IAFP or. Maybe that wasn't even the last two podcasts ago, whatever that was. Um, and uh, so here's the um, here's the conversation, or here's here's the message. Um, this is you can read my message, but not my name. Uh, message: I was one of the quote, quote groupies attending the recording at IAFP, and I just wanted to encourage the listeners to come out if they get the chance. It was a tremendous amount of fun. And if you're running late to the recording, don't worry. The first 15 <laughs> minutes is just your host tapping the microphone and going, test, 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 one, two, one, two, <laughs> quote. So then he says, but seriously, come out. You can be a guest on the show. I didn't take the opportunity. I work for a third-party laboratory network. And when I mentioned to my boss that I'd be attending the recording, he asked me, quote, are you going to be interviewed? Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't tell whether his tone of voice indicated interest or horror. I should have done it, though. Um, I would have gone with the code name Dunnage from the Common Carrier presentation. Uh, so uh, thank you for great fun and informative podcast. Uh, I'll be looking for the friend of the, the pod dot 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 cast badge tags next year. So uh, shout out to Dunnage. Uh, yes, thank you to listener Dunnage. Really, uh, really good. And um, for uh, speaking of live recordings, we're going on tour. Uh, tour stop one one other tour stop uh we will be in uh, minnesota on september let's see here uh 19th at a fda regional meeting um and don and i are uh are doing we're gonna we're trying to do this live podcast thing so we're gonna see how it goes well we've done them we've done a live podcast we just haven't done one in in front of like 60 or 80 people who may or may not know what we're doing. Exactly. But <clears throat> I'm sure it'll all work out just fine. Hey, so, uh, and there was also uh, one other bit of uh, listener feedback also from somebody who was in the audience. And uh, this person says, uh, please share all details freely. And so this is from uh, listener Julian. He's, and he says, hello, Don. Hello, Ben. I'm one of the mysterious guests who was in the audience while you recorded episode 130. Uh, I believe I didn't correctly convey why I attended both your recording session and the IAFP annual meeting. 
He writes, I'm a food service manager who spent some time working with regulatory authorities who licensed and inspected our food service operations in Florida. Over the years, I learned what the food code says, but didn't necessarily understand the why. I don't remember really remember what was first, Barf Blog or Food Safety News, but at some point I stumbled across your podcast in which you talk about IAFP. So I came to Tampa because of your podcast and I wanted to know what I wanted to know what I don't know. And so good for you, Julian. That's exactly why, uh, why coming to uh, IAFP is so important. Um, he, he goes on, while I'm passionate about food safety, it was a daunting task to attend the conference as I have a very limited background in microbiology. I must say that everyone I met was very welcoming and even excited that I wanted to learn more about their world. And I would say that that's not hyperbole, right? That is really genuinely, truly the vibe at IAFP where we're, we're quite a welcoming group and we, we want people to come and we want them to learn. So He'd say, uh, thanks to this, I'd recommend that even more food service operators attend the meeting. I'm still unsure how to a- answer the why behind the food code, but I, yeah, me too, yeah. Julian, me too sometimes. Sometimes it's not based on science, but but that's why uh, that's why we uh, w- what we do what we do, and uh, we, we try to make the food code better and more scientific. Um, uh, again, back to Julian. Uh, but I definitely learned some new questions to ask that will keep me busy until next year, just in time for Salt Lake City. Just wanted to let you two know that your work with this podcast is inspirational. Um, so he calls it a podcast, but then he he ends the he ends the letter with friend of the pod friend dot the pod. dot dot. There you go, so, friend of the pod yeah. dot 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 is is the way we should we should do it. Oh, really well, nice. No, well, cast, but cast, yes, yeah, really, really nice message from Julian, and it's uh, it is super cool and heartening uh, to hear that that we talking about this conference um, and our experiences professionally through it. Um, you know, got got one person excited enough to come and and. Uh, and it sounds like he was excited enough that uh, um, with his experience that he's planning on uh, on going and, and attending next year. It's that's fantastic. And yeah. Oh, you're all you're all towelled up. I'm all towelled up. See, I got. I, I think it took care of some of my uh, echo because I think the echo is actually off of my desk. Uh uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, and I bet you I can type, and it's not going to make any difference now. I'm. I got this. Is, that's a life hack, Don. Man, towels, 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 and uh, and a stack of books. You know how I like to to uh, have like to have a close uh, a stack of books close by. Yeah, you know, you never know when you might need them. They're they're so multi-purpose. You can, uh, I mean, stack them. You can you, read them. You can read them. You can throw them at throw people them. or or pets. Um, oh, you can press you flowers. Um, True. You know, um, I used to. I used to cut stuff up on them too <laughs> when I needed to cut things and I, okay. and I, and I didn't have a, another way to cut them. I okay. would use a textbook. All right. Um, yeah. So anyway, thanks. Thanks for the intermission. And this, this will be, uh, uh, it, it's, it, it sh- the listeners shouldn't even know that I left for about 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and, and had somebody uh, come look at an apartment that we're uh, trying to rent that is uh, attached to my house or so is, uh, was it, was it a successful visit? I, if, I, if you can say, I mean, I, I think it was successful. He, uh, the individual said that he would, uh, he would get back to us tomorrow. He had to check out a couple of things. Um, All right. and, but it, it's, he seemed very positive. Um, so well, if Ben, if, if I, if I wasn't married and I didn't have a job in New Jersey, i I would give serious consideration to coming and living above your garage. Uh, cause it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you're, if you, I did, I was not a big watcher of the happy days, but for some reason I do remember, uh, that part of the happy days show where at one point Fonzie lived uh, above Richie's garage. Yeah. Hey, Hey, hey I, every, yeah. I could, 
every day when I'd see you, that's what that's how I'd greet you. Dawn. Yes. And you'd say, yes, Zippy. Um, and I'd say, hey. <laughs> and that'd be, and we would, that'd be that you'd stick. be the one living, you'd be the one living above the garage. I'd have to say a. Well, no, I think you're gonna live above my garage, <laughs> right? And, and that's oh, it. and then you say, so yeah. Then if, if the, if the one who's living in above the garage is the one who's the Fonzie character, right? Oh, right, right, right. I'm uh, sorry, sorry, Mr. Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. I'm Mr. Cunningham. I'm Zippy Cunningham. Yes, yes, you you are Zippy Cunningham. <laughs> we just now got a last name for you. Oh, All right. Damn. Um. So yeah. Anyway, we got we got that going on. Um, what was uh, we we were talking a little bit about feedback. So we we also had homework, and and I have not completed my homework. And, oh, and I, have you completed both both of your homeworks? No, I have not. I have well, I have uh, watched one of my homeworks, and I've downloaded the other. So I have uh, watched uh, about fifteen minutes of the one that I downloaded, and then not the other one. So we'll we'll come back to that. And uh, for those who were not listening to episode 130 or maybe it was 129 uh don and i are going to check out a couple of uh things uh food evolution which is an ift produced uh documentary on the food industry and then a uh msnbc i think it's msnbc money or maybe it's cnbc um episode of uh the money show that uh, talks about the pca uh outbreak yeah, it's called called it's called American Greed, American um, Greed. and I don't. I, I think it would be really depressing to watch all the time, um, but I did enjoy that, I, and that was the piece of the homework that I did. I did enjoy that episode very much. Oh, so. good, good, good. Well, we'll come back. So uh, stay tuned. Um, Indeed. Uh, so there's more. There's more good follow up, Don. Yes, there is. There's more good, and it's yours. You brought us follow up. I, I got, did. I got an email from a listener. First time, first time listener, uh, several time caller, Don Schaffner, uh, <laughs> who's, who, who's and, and Don writes, please share my information freely. Uh, <laughs> just got some blue apron as a recall ah, on the podcast. Yes. The veggies are on top, then a cardboard layer, then the meat package with gel packs. And then you detail the stack of veggies, cardboard, gel pack, meat, gel pack. Right. Um, and then you gave me some temperatures, beef 45 on the top side. 39 on the bottom side. Chicken, 35 on the bottom side, was in direct contact with the gel pack. Shrimp appears to have been frozen. 31 on one side of the package, 42 on the other side. Yep. And and it's interesting. So the, the and I want to talk specifically about the chicken because so this is a a, a whole half chicken, okay? So oh, wow. if that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Um and it's it's in a it's in some sort of plastic packaging and it's vacuum packaged. Um and what they did was they inverted it. So in other words, if you're looking down into the package, all you see is the the black bottom of the packaging and then hmm. Uh, and so basically the the cold air, I guess hot air rises. But anyway, so under so basically what it was doing is it was trapping the temperature like under I guess I guess it's not it's not really trapping the cold, it's trapping the hot. But anyway, so it was uh, uh, the, the the chicken was facing downward, right? And the and the packaging was was tra- trapping the uh, the I guess again, again, I should be trapping the cold air, but anyway. A, a um, downward facing chicken? Is this downward a, facing it's chicken. A, it's a, yes, yoga, it's move. a yoga move, yes. Good, good. <laughs> downward facing chicken. Um and and, and so uh, I I don't know. It just seemed rather, uh, you know, rather clever. Oh, oh, and I do also want to report um, at Blue Apron. They are not a sponsor. Um, the beef was tough, and so we may we may opt out of. Few, we've had a couple of tough packages of beef from Blue Apron, so we may opt out of the future uh, beef. Although there's a there's an upcoming uh, beef and lamb, a ground beef and lamb that we I think we're gonna we're gonna go for, but. 
generally the that we have been disappointed in the beef um uh the 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 shrimp was i thought the shrimp was pretty good uh kristen was didn't wasn't really too keen on the texture just because i think it had been frozen but uh and then uh yeah so the 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 shrimp dish uh, we had that last night it was shrimp and gnocchi um which is which is kind of a again one of those weird weird things um not a big we're not neither of us is a particularly big fan of uh gnocchi but uh but it was good and uh yeah and the and the the beef thing would have been yeah the beef thing was a little bit weird because they had to marinate the beef in tahini but anyway we're probably having the whole half chicken tonight oh cool so, so anyway, temperatures uh, pretty good, you know, good, good, and packaging wise, food safety wise, uh, thumbs up. Yeah, and uh, coming back to our conversation on this, we were talking about with that ROP, uh, uh, you know, vacuum sealed, reduced oxygen packaging um, that we would, you know, in that forty one, forty two, forty five range. You know, you may it may be that you get some listeria growth. Um, you're pretty unlikely to get um, bot and gel to- and gel toxin toxin formation mm-hmm. uh, at those temperatures and the listeria i mean largely you're you're going to take care of that with a cook step so you know i i you know sounds sounds like they're they're you know managing risk uh, fairly well and it's not like you open it up and it was uh, 58 degrees or anything on the beef right no I, and i think they do a good job with the with the temperature control at least I mean, my that's been my experience so well, that's cool. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for following up uh, with that because I, I was very I was quite interested uh, mm-hmm. in in what it, what it looks like and, and uh, yeah I appreciate uh, appreciate that. Yeah, and I would say also just for any listeners who are interested, um, I've got a whole bunch of free Blue Aprons to give away, and so if you want a free uh, want a free trial, um, just uh, get in touch with me and I'll, I'll send you. I got a, I got a bunch of them. Um, a friend of the podcast um, and sometimes listener Linda Harris um, was bugging us for a long time for, to take one of her free things, and finally we did. And so we're we're I don't know I don't know if we're going to stick with it, um, but we're enjoying it for now. So tell me about the free. What's the free offer? Is it like one one shipment free? You get one week. Yeah. Yeah, basically, basically three meals for free. Uh, I think I think is what it is. Uh, I can I can look it up here real yeah. quick on yeah my phone. Um, I might check that out. I mean, oh, yeah. have you have you not uh, tried the apron? No. Oh, well, let me, me, me one let me yeah let me send you one. Um, yeah. So you have unsent invitations. Send a friend or family member who hasn't tried Blue Apron yet a free delivery on us. So I think that is a free delivery. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that uh, right after the show. So okay. and I think I've got five invites. So after I invite you, four listeners can also be invited. So there you go. It's, it's like I'm st- uh, stealing candy from the mouth of a baby. Of I've just taken one from our listener. So you, that's you're okay. done before. <laughs> Okay. Uh, cool, cool, good, good, good. Um, so, uh, keeping in in line with um, we, you know, who's going to be really happy with this episode is Jack Kazaich because we haven't talked about music at all um, <laughs> or Netflix. Um, but uh, keep, keeping in line with uh, temperature control, there was something kind of interesting that that popped up that I wrote about on Barflog this week um, that I wanted to to get your your take on, and it's. This, I would say, a notable outbreak, or not outbreak, a notable recall. And I don't, you know, there's recalls all the time. And I, I don't um, I don't think we can learn from every one of these recalls. Because as you and I have talked about, um, and, and have, I get, you know, not differing opinions, but, a little, you know, we, we look at things a little bit differently when it comes to, like, recalling for uh, a list area positive versus, you know, other things. Um, but there's a recall this last week that was... Uh, linked to food that was distributed by uh, the Idaho Food Bank, and wow, yeah, and it was kind of it's it's kind of a crazy one. 
because I can't I I can't remember a food bank having a recall uh, in the past, and and in fact, um, a project that I've talked about on the podcast in the uh, before uh, a former student of mine, Ashley Chaffetz, um, who is now at um, USDA FNS. Um, Ashley, in in her work, looked at food handling practices and food safety operating procedures in food pantries and and uh, really food pantries um, in North Carolina. And she went to um, uh, over 100 uh, food pantries, conducted interviews, did a we, we modified a version of the um, the North Carolina food code inspection um, form and she employed that. And, and, and anyway, so we I've, I've got a lot of interest in in this area. And, and, and Ashley, one of the things that she talked about was recalls during her interviews and that, you know, basically asking a question of if you were presented with a recall, how would you go about getting this information to the people that come pick up food in pantries? Some of them are, are I mean, uh, especially in faith-based organizations, um, they don't, it's not like you sign up for it. It's like, any, it's open for, you know, these hours, anybody come in and take what you want. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, I think it's a real challenge, right? Um, anyway, this this Idaho food bank um, recall was also how they tra- – what triggered it was kind of interesting. And so I'll read from the, um, the posting on FDA's website. Uh, Idaho food bank is recalling approximately 27,000 pounds of coconut beverage, broccoli cheddar soup, eggs, and cheese product. These products are being recalled because they were not continuously maintained or stored at the required temperature due to a malfunction in the cooler. This could result in contamination by spoilage uh, organisms or pathogens, which could lead to life-threatening illnesses if consumed. Um, there, I mean, there's a few things uh, here that I want to I want to unpack, as they say on other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the in, you know kind of interesting part is the next sentence to me is the Idaho Food Bank discovered the problem. After reviewing its cooler temperature records during high heat, um, so a, a couple of things, and um, I, and the I guess the the kind of stuff that that I wrote about um, here was, you know, there's there's missing information, right? Like you and I, uh, and a lot of these times we're we're handcuffed. We're not we're we're like kind of in the know sometimes, but not always in the know. So all we're going on is what's in this press uh, press release or in this recall notice, and so. In going going exactly back to Blue Apron, there's a difference between 41 and 45, and there's a difference between 45 and 90, and you know, and depending on these products, you know, what temperature it got to and for how long really matters. Not just that it received a, you know, um, uh, there was a malfunction in the cooler. And the the one that really sticks out to me here, it's not so much. I don't know what the coconut drink is. But um, and eggs and cheese, I'm like, yeah. But the broccoli and cheesy cheddar soup, um, and there's a picture in the Barf Blog post uh, that I posted last week about this. It, it's like a you know, um, like a pint kind of uh, plastic um, tub. Uh, that's the kind of thing that that I think over time you could get uh, some bot issues with, and maybe not even have. Um, spoilage that pops up you know we look at we had some soup that uh that was in tetra packs that was linked to uh bot illnesses about five or six years ago maybe a little longer more like maybe 10 years ago 
Uh, but this is the kind of thing that that I, I th- that's the one that I would worry about the most out of the list. Yeah, yeah, I <clears throat> I agree. And I guess my question is, is um, so it says they issue a recall after cooler temperatures were reviewed. And so my question is, well, what was their procedure for reviewing cooler temperatures, and why? Why did they? What was? What? How long was the lag, and why was there a lag? Boom. Boom. Right. Yes. yes. I mean, that's that's a bigger like. Well, that's fine. You so you have a problem. You corrected it. But what did you do to fix the problem in the future? Absolutely. And and is yeah. this? Um, you know, food. So I I didn't know this about um, the emergency food system before uh, I started advising Ashley around this project. But I used to just throw like food banks, food pantries, soup kitchens, all the same thing, right? Where it's right. like right, and it's and it's not uh, what right. I've learned, right? Like so, a food bank. Um, uh, often is a large centralized warehouse distribution center. It looks like a distribution center that you would see at a grocery store. In fact, some food banks operate out of old grocery store distribution centers where they've got, you know, cold storage, frozen storage, dry storage, and, and really they're just operating to, to distribute food. Um, and then food pantries are often those, um, much more local satellite type distribution spots that that would be run by um, largely volunteers. And so, if if the Idaho Food Bank looks like the Central and Eastern North Carolina Food Bank that I that I'm familiar with, that's here in Raleigh. Um, I mean, this is an operation that they've got full time people, people that are trained in food safety, that have experience in monitoring coolers. They're, I mean, they're moving such amount of food like that there's a bunch of um you know hand trucks and forklifts that are moving around and and it's you know thousands of pounds um and so you would you would think to your point that there would be some pretty good infrastructure for monitoring cooler temperatures and in, in fact in um my you know my experience here in the food banks that I, that I've been to it's you know uh, it's done automatically you get alerts on your phone if it goes out of Temperature. Right, just 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 like a, a supermarket or a, a food distribution center that was distributing uh, food that wasn't food bank food, right? I Absolutely. mean, it's the same same system. Should have the same infrastructure. Yeah. So no, I th- I think you bring up um, a real yeah a really uh, good point here is what how do you reevaluate your system and how long you know did it take? When were these temperatures out? Was it a week? Was it two weeks? Was it a day? Um, you know, what, tell, you know, tell us more about it. Uh, and that, I mean, that's a question for, for them, not like tell us more about it in the, in the, um, recall notice, but, um, but I, I want to know more. Um, the other thing though, I want to sort of highlight here is how, how effective do you think it is when you send out a recall notice to get to the people who may have received this material through food pantries? Right, like there's an already there's another distribution step. So they they list in the, um, it, you know, the regions where this was was dis- these products were distributed. Um, but you know, it's not like here are the 600 food pantries that it might have gone out through or whatever that number is. And I think that's that's an issue too. Right, and well, and what kind of record keeping do they have at the food pantries, and how do the food pantries then reach out to their customers? Yeah, who many of whom may not have phones. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, the demographics of a of a typical food bank customer would be, but I mean, these are people who are, you know, who are not shopping for food at grocery stores, or at least in part get food from food banks essentially for free, right? So, 
um, you know, these are people probably without the ways and means to necessarily be easily contacted. Right, right. And and it just shows like, I mean, you're, it, I mean, you're certainly not going to run, be able to run their credit cards, right? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> yeah. And there's not a you know, frequent shopper card that we can. Right. She, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so from the, from the FDA's posting of this recall, um, you know, so it lists the, the, uh, products uh, that were, you know, and this is as, as, as precise as it gets. Affected pro products were distributed in southwest and north central Idaho, southwest Idaho, Magic Valley, and Wood River areas. And it says, okay, coconut beverage, broccoli and cheesy cheddar soup, medium eggs and shell, uh, pasteurized processed American cheese. And it says facilities that received affected products. And, and what I want to see is here's a list of those 200 of them, but it says mm -hmm. bullet, mobile pantries, bullet, mm. community meal sites, bullet, school pantries, bullet, senior centers. And, right. and it's like, oh, man, um, it's <clears throat> 27,000 pounds of product. Like we're not we're also not talking about, you know, 100 pounds. Like exposure here is pretty, pretty great. Now, I, I, you know, for like looking at this list and, and like I said, I don't know what the coconut beverage is and it's not even um, it's a it's a uh, unsweetened dairy free, not milk, but, uh, un, you know, like coconut milk like thing. Yep. Um, and, and then you've got this processed cheese that's, um, you know, whatever. I, and eggs. I mean, eggs. I, I, I'm not. I, I wouldn't worry so much about eggs being out of at a temp uh, in a situation like this because, again, we like like with Blue Apron, you've got this this cook, this uh, cooking step that would be uh, often used. Um, but uh, you know, broccoli and cheesy cheddar soup. I I'd, uh, I'd want I'd want to put an extra bullet on that one. Just how do we get how do we get at the senior centers that might have received this and that it's been temperature abused. Well, and again, to your earlier point, what, how much was the temperature abuse? Right? right. What was the time? What What was the What was the amount of time as near as you can reconstruct? And what was the temperature it was exposed to? Because that's gonna, I mean, that's gonna. If I was If I was in charge of this, that's one of the things that's gonna influence my decision about how quickly I act or or you know what what I what actions I take. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, in, in the. Uh, you know, full uh, analysis of this uh, recall notice. There is a message that goes into the you know risk risk communication lore that I'll use now going forward. Another like uh, food safety is our top priority. Um, we've never made you know anybody sick. Blah blah blah. I will read directly. The Idaho Food Bank is committed to consumer safety and takes all product quality concerns very seriously. This recall affects less than two percent of the 1.5 million pounds of food that IFB distributes statewide each month. We are recalling the products out of abundance of caution and instructing customers who receive them not to eat these products and immediately dispose of them. I, if I was editing this, Don, I would, I would cut all of that paragraph except we are instructing consumers to receive them to not eat these products because I think the rest of it is just a bunch of fluff. Well, and um, maybe say we, we're sorry for the mistake um, we're taking action to correct the mistake, to prevent future mistakes of this nature. That's what I want to yeah, know. Like, right, what, right. How, what, what are you doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? It, yes. Yeah. 
And but yes, but but I really don't care that it's less than two percent no. of the one point five million pounds, right? What I, because that's so what, it's, right? Yeah. Most most outbreaks don't affect uh, you know everybody that's exposed, so that's that's it's irrelevant. It is, it is, it's and it and it's it, you have a short amount of space to get messages out, and right. you're, you're wasting. You, it. Yes, you're we are burning those words on things that that make you feel better, but don't really have anything to do with communicating with those that are affected. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and the, the other thing that gets me really going on this and, and why, um, why I was so lucky to have, uh, Ashley as a student who was really passionate about this as well. Um, this is, as you mentioned with this group, this group of individuals who are accessing emergency food, it's not a small number of the population, right? Like it's, we're, we're here in, in North Carolina. I think it's um, you know, somewhere around 20% of people annually will access um, uh, emergency food. Like it's, it's a big deal. Um, but it's the very group that needs safe food the most, right? Like, like this yep. is their source of nutrition that, that, you know, where they're getting it. They can't make uh, often a lot of choices. They're, they're in situations where this is the only, this is the only food that they may have. And now we've got a, a situation where we're maybe exposing them to to risks and and also uh, probably correlated is is a group that often um, struggles for with uh, health insurance and healthcare uh, as well. So yep. if they were ill um, and, and probably work in jobs, uh, you know, for in in many cases that, that they're not going to get sick leave uh, if they're if they're ill that's paid. So yeah, it just this this one uh, uh, the the. The, the I, I love how passionate emergency food systems are. The part that um, concerns me the most is is how we don't treat them as, uh, often as um, serious as commercial food systems, right? Like it's it, the the infrastructure and the support often isn't there to have good food safety practices and good food safety policies, and and I that makes me sad sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you we have a very nice sentence in your barf blog post, uh, quote, the very folks who need food the most were betrayed by the system they trust. So, yeah. Well, thank, sometimes I get it. Sometimes I, I hit those. I, I write it all right. So. Um, hey, so, so, so the, your, your, so your discussions raise a couple of, a uh, couple of uh, things for me that, that we could go to, and then uh, also I want to uh, I want to definitely talk about uh, norovirus at Chipotle. So, um, yes, yes. so first of all, I have this, and I don't know if this is what this is apropos, except maybe a, f a food pantry. So, when I was a graduate student, uh, we would make. Um, what would we make? We would make uh, ham and sausage, which we would sell as a fundraiser at UGA. And we had some leftover that we didn't sell. And I will always have the memory of taking some of this to uh, this frozen sausage product, I think, to uh, a guy in a food bank. Uh, food pantry in Georgia, in Athens, um, and handing it to him. And he's like, is this okay? And I said, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fine. It's safe. And so he gets out a big black marker and he writes on it, eatable. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, okay, there, that was his record keeping system. Uh, he talked to me, I said it was okay. He decided it was eatable. So, so anyway, that's, uh, that's the one, one story that I have to share there. Like um, it. also, yeah, thanks. I also, I was part of a recent, um, American Chemical Society sponsored Science Cafe uh, at uh, at Princeton, uh, which was which was really nice Ooh. to be invited. And yeah, fancy, oh Ivy League. Um, 
<laughs> the other the other university in New Jersey, as we like to call it, um, uh, which was which was fun. And there were supposed to be three of us on the panel, but one of them had a, a emergency and, and couldn't make it. But I was on the panel with somebody who uh, has worked as an academic. I think his background is is more nutrition. He's worked as an academic a couple of different places, um, but currently works for uh, basically a, a vitamin manufacturing company. But um, and so we were there to nominally talk about food and um, you know food safety and, and nutrition and you know GMOs and labeling and a whole bunch of stuff that you know we probably weren't completely qualified to talk about. But uh, he was uh, he was uh, what I would call uh, one of the safest food supplies in the world, guys. Um, and at some point he's yes. like he out that phrase, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't have, I just didn't, I didn't want to, well, so per, partly I was recovering, partly it was towards the end of the evening and partly I'm still recovering from, I was still recovering from having a sore throat and I really didn't want to get into a fight with this guy because we were, you know, it was, it was fun. It was cordial. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, I just didn't know how to respond to that. So if you have any advice on how to respond to someone who is, uh, one of the safest food supplies in the world, um, people, I, uh, I, I would, it, but I, I just didn't do anything. I just didn't respond. I have some, yeah, I have, I mean, I have some advice. I have some advice okay. to that, Don. All right. Um, cool. I think uh, I think the question is, how did you measure that? Mm. And because if it's on uh, estimated illnesses, uh, no, no, we we estimate actually higher than lots of other countries, mm-hmm. and, and be, probably because we're better at estimating. Um, and if we looked at number of outbreaks, like no, no, we actually have a lot of outbreaks, probably because we're pretty good at identifying them. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did you measure that we were the safest food supply in the world? Mm-hmm. And then, and then, oh, well, he didn't say the safest. He said one, one of, of the, one of those. Right, so, right. So, so on, the, on the, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, Hey, so I, uh, you mentioned GMOs and, and labeling, and I don't know if you've seen this news and I'm going to, uh, I think I may have just, uh, put it in the Dropbox or not, but I'll text you this. Okay. Um, cause I, I, I hadn't thought about this as a, as a topic, uh, for today, but I want to get your, your feedback. On it, I got an email um, from someone uh, that I know in the in the food industry about uh, Campbell's like soup leaving GMA, the uh, Grocery Manufacturers uh, Association, or um, uh, over labeling genetically modified ingredients. Whoa! Uh, did you hear this? So I did not see this. This is fascinating. It is fascinating. So so here's here. This is where we get into risk perceptions and risk communication and stuff. So GMA is opposed. And this is, uh, I'm reading from an article uh, that was posted on KNEB, which I believe is uh, the, your trusted voice uh, for a better country in Nebraska. So, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the place I go for all of my uh, food industry news. Um, Campbell soup company will leave the GMA uh, by the end of the year over a dispute on labeling of genetically modified ingredients. GMA is opposed to GMO labeling, while Campbell has long been vocal about increasing transparency of its ingredients. Huh. Campbell C, uh, Chief Executive De- Denise Morrison told investors this move was not for financial reasons, but instead was driven by purpose and principles. Um, the move uh, comes as Department of Agriculture's AMS uh, has extended the public comment period for a GMO disclosure rule. Deadline for input's been extended, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, so here you go. This is a, a nice food fight that I'm sure will get played out as um, as political. But I, you, so I get um, why, the, the, and this is, this, this is probably going to you know, go back to things that we've talked about a lot before. I get why we don't want to share things in the food industry. And, and I, I understand 
the thought of people won't understand it. And if we put it out there, they will scare them and will they'll be misinformed and they'll make knee-jerk reactions. And I think that that's some of that might be rooted in evidence, but I think that's a failure on being, you know, putting in the time to, to truly communicate these things and, and have transparency. And I kind of, I commend Campbell's for, for kind of saying, look, we don't, we, we won't be part of this organization because we don't agree with it. And, um, labeling as, uh, you know, uh, the, the flip side of GMO labeling to me is not just saying we are not, these are GMO free foods, but it's, we are using GMO labeling and here's what GMOs or genetically engineered foods in our products. And here's why, because it, you know, incre- uh, it's a technology that in certain places increases yields and reduces environmental impact and is safety tested and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, 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 I get the, um, the thought that, you know, uh, individuals in, in Europe have sort of shown that if you put G, GMO, um, you know, on a label that no one wants that on their label because they think that consumers aren't going to buy it. But I think that's, you know, we're, that's, that's a failure that we, that we've created that, uh, so anyway, I kind of, I, I kind of like that Campbell's, um, backed away and from GMA and said, no, no, we're going to go this route because it's important. And that's just on the surface. Who knows what all the under stuff is. Right. And, and at the same, and so, yeah, so, I mean, Hey, good for them for taking a stand. If they, if they believe that this is important, uh, you know, go for it. On the other hand, um, you know, we've, we, we need to, we are going to circle back to talking about Chipotle and all of Chipotle's claims about, uh, all of its foods and, and being GMO free. And now Panera, which, you know, I mean, I, I used to eat at Chipotle. I don't anymore. Uh, still a big fan of Panera, a big fan of the food. Um, but now Panera is, is sort of heading down that same, you know, righteousness. Um, you know, our food is clean, no chemicals in our food, you know, nonsense that we heard from Chipotle. Um, because as I don't know if you know this, Ben, but, but food is made up of chemicals. No, um, yeah, I want, I want chemical free food. Well, that I, I don't, I would say air, but, but air has chemicals in it too, Ben. Is that, is that an REM song from Murmur? Chemical (laughs) chemical free food? I think it is. Uh, yeah, I, that's disappointing to me to hear about all those chemicals. (laughs) And (laughs) yes, yes. Um, uh, so yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this this whole thing uh, whole thing plays out. But but I do I do want to bring I, w- I want to bring it back to food safety, um, and I want to plug uh, our good friends at Fight Fight Back um, because they did uh, they they've invited me on in the past to uh, what they call a knowledge exchange. Um, and really what a knowledge exchange is, is it's a, it's a teleconference. It's a half hour phone call <laughs> where experts uh, talk about stuff. It's not really a webinar because there's no slides. Um, uh, but, but it's been, it's been, it, anyway, it's, it was, it was really, really interesting uh, and informative, I guess. And I don't, I do, I know that they do listen to the podcast. So, uh, let me say, you know, I appreciate the low tech nature of the phone call, but I would personally, I, I would rather, uh, see slides. And it, it's also, and again, I understand where they're coming from. It's also, uh, the way they they write it. They try to make it pretty highly scripted. Um, and I would say, you know, and anybody who listens to this podcast knows that no, no, neither of us, neither of us is a fan of highly scripted and we're more into a free flowing exchange of information. But um, they did a recent one just a couple days ago um, on the uh, Contra, they had folks from Contra. Costa County, um, talking about the Thanksgiving foodborne disease outbreak uh, with the community holiday meal offered by local church volunteers. You're familiar with the outbreak. I'm familiar with the outbreak. 
And, uh, and so one of the questions that I wanted to ask, but I couldn't because the, so the way it works is that everybody's in listen only mode and then you can push some buttons on your phone to, to get into the queue to ask a question. Um, and, but it wasn't working for me on my, uh, on my phone. Um, so I couldn't ask a question, but the question that I wanted to ask was, so it sounds like from the folks at, at, Contra Costa County, that's a tongue twister boy, um, that, that basically they had people preparing chicken or turkeys rather in their own homes. And it probably was one bad turkey out of the bunch that made people sick. And in fact, even did kill some people. And that shouldn't have happened, right? Like the, the church kitchen where the, uh, what that was the nucleus of the outbreak, that church kitchen had a permit, but they also let people make chickens in their own home and bring it into the church kitchen. And as the folks from the county health department were very clear to say, that's not allowed, that's not covered under the permit. And the question that I wanted to ask, and again, it's relevant to this uh, food bank recall as well, is, okay, so given that this happened, what are the steps that are in place to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again, right? That, that people don't, I mean, part of it's education, right? But part of it is also, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what the other step is, right? But, 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 but maybe it's all education. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah. I mean, I wish there was some sort of magic bullet answer to this. I think education is part of it, but it's, it's more than, than just training. It's like, you know, value and being able to understand and, and I think dissect this, um, this outbreak, you know, you've got 25 cases of perfringens to be able as anybody who's handling food in a, in a, you know, community meal event that they understand that their actions can lead to these illnesses here, the, like the, the impacts uh, of this. And how it how it happened, not just like and and by how it happened, Don. I don't mean uh, there was temperature abuse, and everyone kind of looks at each other and nods and goes, "Oh yeah, we'll keep things cold or we'll keep things hot." But the 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 mechanics of why was there temperature abuse? What was like? What were the decisions that were made that led to that? Why why would someone hold um, you know the the turkey uh, at um, sorry, was this was a turkey? Whatever it is, at, it was turkey. Yep. Yeah, it was turkey at um, at improper temperatures. Was it that they made too much and couldn't transport it well? That they didn't have anywhere to haul? How, like what? Like all of the the steps and the decisions. And I I don't see that as just education. I guess like I see that as uh, trying to spin attitudes towards oh uh, we really need to not do all of these things. Like give, arming them with just like you know. Uh, you know, hot hold above 135 and cold hold below below 41 doesn't doesn't do enough uh, for those folks that are in um, in charge. The other thing that I think we do a fairly poor job about, or and and I say we, I mean the uh, the food safety world when it comes to volunteers and these types of things, is uh, having individuals understand that making food at home is different than making food, you know, for six people in the family or four people in the family is different than making, um, you know, 20, 20 turkeys for a thousand people. Right. Well, and I, Right, and I think the supposition from from the from the folks from from County Health that were on the call is probably what happened is it's a busy time of year. People's fridges are already full. Somebody cooked a turkey at home, didn't have room to properly refrigerate it, and then they got and they happen to have perfringens in the turkey because again, it's not in everything, but it could be have been in this turkey, and they just had improper cooling um, in that one turkey in that one home because of circumstances, situation, whatever. Um, and that's you know the hypothesis. That's what led. 
to the outbreak. Yeah. And so that, like, that knowledge is where I think the education stuff fails, right? Like, or just stopping there, being able to really uh, dissect this and sort of say, here's, here's what should have happened here. Here's what should happen here. Here's how we can avoid it. Here are some, um, uh, some logs that we could fill out to make sure that if someone's doing this, that they're, you know, and that we need to review them just like we're talking about with the Idaho food bank. Um, but just formalizing these things. Um, so we avoid it. And that, that's a harder, that's a harder sell than, um, you know, putting all the volunteers through a half hour food handler training program. Well, and, and again, the, 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 what the folks from County Health were saying is it's not allowed. So it's not a matter of home people preparing turkeys in their home and having them fill out logs. It's not allowed, right? And yeah. so maybe the solution is to say, look, if you are a church kitchen and you have a permit, part of that permitting process is that that someone acknowledges that food that is prepared outside of this kitchen that is brought in for distribution at this kitchen, that that is simply not allowed, right? Or, or, or you, are you only allow cakes and cookies or something, right? Exactly. You don't allow protein products. So, and yeah, I, I have like that in this case, I mean, and that's the same thing that would happen here in North Carolina if they were doing this through a permitted kitchen, um, where that falls apart for me and this is where, you know, sometimes our regulatory friends um, get, you know, they're, they're kind of handcuffed is, okay, let's say this was a church kitchen, they were doing this, and it wasn't a permitted uh, kitchen, right? Like they were doing this fully privately, they're not doing it in something that's inspected. It's outside of that what's allowed. And it's still like, it still happens, like that kind of right. stuff is, is there. And it's not like it's, it, they're they're subverting the law or, or doing it illegally. It's like they're just not using a kitchen that is permitted, and they're doing the exact same actions. So right. So right. I, I get that. So, so, so fixing case. fixing the problem with the permitted kitchen fixes that problem, assuming you can do it perfectly or virtually perfectly. But it doesn't fix people doing the same thing in a non permitted kitchen. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and and again, another as another bit of follow up, just again to not to just show that I'm not afraid to cast <clears throat> aspersions at my own university. So we have a great program that we administer through my lab, where we go out and we test the foods in the dining halls, and we're proud to say that we haven't had any reportable outbreaks caused by. Um, Foods that are prepared um, uh, at Rutgers University dining halls, but we're, we're, we what we don't say is no outbreaks at Rutgers University. And we, in fact, we had an outbreak recently, not recently, it was a few years back now, um, where a student club. Maybe I've talked about it before on the podcast too, but where a student club uh, had a catered event in a student center, and they went to a restaurant up in Newark, and they bought a bunch of food from this. Newark restaurant, and they transported it down to Rutgers from, you know, not down to New Brunswick from, from Newark in the trunks of their cars without temperature control. And again, they had this part, this wonderful party, but they only had one, um, uh, one, uh, sterno table. Right. And so they had all this food and they heated it up one, one batch at a time. And all the rest of the time, the food is sitting there out of temperature control. Um, and it turns out a bunch of students got sick from this. And so, Theoretically, this is under the control of, I mean, it's, you know, the university sanitarian, he's responsible. Turns out, again, same sort of thing. We have a policy, um, whereas if you are going to serve food 
at a student center and you're a student club and that food is not going to be from an approved caterer or from Rutgers Dining, that you have to go through food safety training by the sanitarian. And and somehow that line was missed or the rules weren't followed uh, such that this was able to happen. And so, huh. again, the, the solution is to enforce the policy. And, and uh, what it means, too, is that folks at the student centers <clears> – <throat> need to be alert to, hey, there's a bunch of students that seem to be bringing a bunch of uh, steam table trays of food in. Let me check and see what they're signed up to do here and then and then catching that, right? And so, you know, again, and John, you know, the, the University Sanitarian, John Nason did a great job of, uh, you know, closing the door after the after the horse got out. Not that it's his fault, but again, he remediated it. He talked to the students. He, again, he went back to the, to the, the student centers and said, hey, look, there's a reason why we have this line in the policy, you know, no outside food or outside only food only with, with expressed permission of the, you know, the University Sanitarian, et cetera. So, so yeah, so this is this is this is not not unique, obviously, to uh, to this specific um, this outbreak, uh, you know, around Thanksgiving. Now, fortunately, and we don't know the organism. I mean, uh, might have been perfringens. I think it's, it's, it seems like a likely source, but unfortunately, these were all healthy college students, and, and nobody died. But uh, but it's still uh, it just it shows how, just how tricky sometimes it can be to uh, you know even if you have rules and regulations, you you got to make sure that people follow them. Right, right, right. And so two things uh, I want to. Um, hit before we uh, move on to something else um, on this is one, you know, I, I think a common frustration of mine um, is that often even the people that are providing education or training or handling you know, around food safety don't often know the intricacies of the law and the requirements. And, and then not only that, that like that, that's a barrier but then the people that are being regulated by those rules might not even know that they exist at all, right? Like, like they're just they just want to make something, and and don't do the investigation of where they fall or what is going to apply to them. And then everything that gets presented is kind of like to them, like, oh, this is a new rule, but it's really not. It's just that they didn't know it was ever there. And that I I don't know. Like I get I get really I, that that bothers me. Because I think if I was to do something, start a business or create something, I would want to know all the things that I need to what, like what are the what are the rules I gotta play within? And 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 it's more in the in the food area, it's more than just like, you know, there's a lot of stuff, right? Like you've got labor issues and you've got um, environmental issues and you've got zoning and you've got like this is a complicated world. Um and and you can't um you can't just sort of jump in and be like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I make really good pizza, right? Like, and, and I'm going to sell it. So that, that to me is one of the, one of the frustrations here um, that, that comes up when it, com when it comes to these, like, gray areas. The, the last thing, though, I want to highlight is um, a talk that I saw at IAFP uh, two weeks ago on um, and the title. It was uh, T304, and it was uh, Harry Schoenberger from Virginia Tech, one of Renee Boyer's um, students. Um, and, uh, he, uh, the title of his presentation was safe food handling behaviors of student volunteers in an on campus food reclamation pro program. And, and again, kind of like a food pantry, this is a food waste diversion, um, emergency food program. And, uh, I'll just read from the results. So he, he, uh, well, uh, methods wise first it's, he conducts observations, um, and, uh, self-reported food handling practices through, um, a survey and uh, results, volunteers 
regardless of their level of training, were observed engaging in unsafe food handling behaviors. Those who participated in formalized food safety training were more aware of their behaviors. Uh, but I, you know, when I saw the presentation, it said they were more aware of it, but they didn't you know, practice them any better. Um, so <laughs> I think we, I mean, I think we have this, this challenge over um, uh, un, uh, for, uh, un, informal food settings and, and how do we get people to, to realize that if they were doing it in a more formal way, there would be all of these rules and regulations that they'd have to follow. Um, and, and, and even if they had rules and regulations, like actually taking them to heart and understanding the why behind it, like that's the, that's the central theme of the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. So we'll, 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 uh, try to find, uh, uh, try to find that in the program and, and link to it. And I, I, I will say that, um, if you did attend the annual meeting, oh, thanks, Ben. You're welcome. Um, if you if you did, you just Ben just texted me the information. So if you did attend the annual meeting, um, you have free access uh, to the recordings. Um, if you did not attend the annual meeting, but you would like to uh, have access to the recordings, you can pay twenty five dollars a presentation or one hundred and fifty dollars and have access to the entire meeting. Um, uh, really a great a great resource. I'm I'm really pleased that IAFP continues to offer uh, this to us. I think it's really uh, it's really a great, a great thing. So, um, so, Hey, speaking of, uh, having rules and then not following them, I want to follow up with a discussion about, um, norovirus, uh, at Chipotle. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, so, and I got into a very interesting discussion on Facebook with a friend of the podcast, uh, Chip Manuel. Um, Chip says I did some digging and, and around around Chipotle's sick leave policy, and so um, uh, Chip says I did some digging and found out more about their sick leave policy. Take this for face value, but worthy of dis take this for face value, but worthy of discussion. Hourly employees are are allowed three paid sick days a year. Any food handler with norovirus symptoms are told to go home for five days. These are ex exceptions from the sick from the paid sick day policy and these employees are still paid. So five, so, so three paid sick days plus if you have norovirus route and it's still paid and they don't count against your three days. Um, employees are required to get a doctor's note before coming back to work after uh, a, an illness in order to show they are no longer sick. Um, and then I did a little bit of digging on the Chipotle website uh, under their <clears throat> uh, careers chipotle.com benefits and and one of and and those paid sick leave benefits are there uh, but then I also see an asterisk that say benefits may vary by position and location um, which makes me think that that might not be uh, universal so so I think Chipotle is trying to do the right thing um, in terms of food safety or at least on paper they're trying to do the right thing now exactly what happened at this particular restaurant in uh, Virginia where they had this latest incident um, it's not exactly clear. Um, well, and we, we should talk about, we should talk about food safety messaging and, and how maybe to message or not to message. I think both you and I would have some object objections to, uh, how, uh, their current, uh, head of food safety did some messaging, um, around this, but what are your initial reactions? Uh, yeah. So I, um, I don't know if there's a, like a good answer to any of this, this stuff. I mean, um, I, 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 you know, obviously I like that, uh, Chipotle is one of the few companies in the food world that offers paid sick leave. And, and I think this, uh, norovirus specific, 
um, uh, offering is is fantastic on paper, right? Like that's that's <laughs> it's fantastic on paper. It's yes, fan- right. Like that. It, it seems like it's uh, it's a great idea. And corporately, and I I get um, as well. And in fact, after talking with a couple of people who I know at um, at IFP this year, this is obviously before this most recent Chipotle outbreak. But uh, there are a couple of people who I know who work for. Um, you know, major international fast food uh, chains. And and our conversations revolved around some of the challenges they have between corporate stores versus franchisees. And and I think this is a, this is like a, a, a situation where you have a, a corporate policy that's like, this is what we do and, and we're all under the same brand and everything's great, but you are um, – up to how that gets implemented at each individual store and the difference between having a manager there that actually works directly for Chipotle or someone who is working for a franchise franchisee, um, that, you know, there's different philosophies that come in, come into play. So again, I think it, I think it sounds great on, on paper. And I think I can't think of another company and, and if there are listeners out there that know about this, I can't think of another company that offers like a norovirus specific, if you've got it, this doesn't count towards your sick days. Just get out of our restaurants. Um, yeah. Like so, yeah. but but right <laughs> now 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 it kind of falls apart. And is that really how it's implemented? And right. And I don't and I don't know. And in fact, um, I'm going to pick up uh, on this. Uh, I I saw some stuff about um, Reddit. Uh, some some Reddit folks were posting about how. Yes, there's a policy, and uh, you know, uh, anonymous Chipotle um, employees. Uh, yes, there's a policy, but no, no one is not is allowed to follow it, or we've been discouraged to uh, from actually using this because it um, you know impacts our our bonusing, or uh, it impacts uh, the the managerial uh, scheduling, and and it, so so it's like here are all so it sounds great, but. You know, but there's an honest. Yeah, but we but we really don't have a food safety culture, right? Yeah, right. So, um, so so what do you think of what do you think of this uh, food safety messaging? Quote: Norovirus does not come from our food supply, and it is safe to eat at Chipotle. Would you uh, would you would you would you approve that message? I, that, th- my name's uh, Zippy Cunningham, and I do not approve that message. <laughs> yeah. um, no, so and this it comes from. Uh, Jim Marsden, father of Cyclops, James Marsden, uh, who runs food safety at Chipotle. And this, this is like the day of the outbreak gets announced. Um, that's what, you know, what it says in an email, uh, statement. Um, and, and the, I mean, I, maybe, and this, this is where like you get misquoted sometimes. Right. And so, um, I, I could see this if I was giving an interview and I say things like, um, it's unlikely that in this specific situation, based on illnesses happening at one restaurant, that this is a supply chain issue. <laughs> not yes. Norovirus does not come from our food supply because right. clearly norovirus does come from our food supply, um, and and we've seen uh, outbreaks of norovirus from suppliers. We also uh, and I linked to this in a Barf blog post. At uh, uh, Aaron Hall at, at CDC and, and colleagues uh, investigated foodborne norovirus outbreaks in the U.S. Um, from uh, let's see the years of this from 2001 to 2008, publishing this work in Emerging Infectious Diseases in 2012, and they found 
on average, which I think is a very convenient number, on average, there are 365 norovirus outbreaks investigated each year. About, huh, 365. About, Look how at many, that. How many what, if we're not using the metric year of, of 100 <laughs> days, I think that's about one outbreak per day on average. Wait, let me let me food. let me do the math really yeah. quickly here. Hold on. Tap 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 tap. There you go. Yep. Yeah, I think it's it's on, on average it's one a, one a day. Oh my gosh. Um, so I you know I I think it's uh, I, I I I it's not the type of message I would put into an emailed statement. And if I had looked yep. at it and read it, I would say no that we can't we can't say that because it does come from the food supply. Right. Right, ex- exactly, and and obviously this was this came from a PR person, but it was a PR person quoting Marsden for purposes of the press release, and it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I've had people write press releases for me, and I, I've had them say, no, you cannot say that uh, that cold water kills the same amount of bacteria as hot water when you're washing your hands because. Water and hand washing does not kill bacteria. So yeah, you have to not let people put words in your mouth. So, right, right. Anyway, yeah, I uh, yeah. Well, and the sec- the second part of your of your question um, mm. was uh, its safety to Chipotle, right? That's a bigger question. Right. Well, it's, I, I, I believe that he believes it's safe to eat at Chipotle. Sure. So, so that's nice. Um, but. But again, it's no, it's not. It's as I told people repeatedly at my presentation at Princeton the other day, it, the food supply is not safe, right? right? But the risks of quoting our our uh, dearly departed friend Dean Cliver, the risks of not eating still outweigh the risks of eating. Yes, the food is food is not safe, but it still beats the alternative, right? right. We need to work to make it safer, and and yeah, and this this this. Nonsense. Uh, I mean, not not nonsense. This these allegations on Reddit about the policy and the actual implementation of the policy um, that does not give me a warm feeling. Right, right. That that's the thing is um, any any restaurant, uh, any food business uh, can can be the source of an outbreak. Right, like and and there's you know, no no guarantee uh, of safety. And this this goes back to that larger conversation. Um, uh, of, uh, what do we, what, where's the safest food supply in the world? And we're one of the, one of the top ones. All these things are, these superlatives don't, don't really mean anything, um, unless you can demonstrate, you know, action to back it up. And, and unfortunately for, for Chipotle, they have struggled with evidence to, to back it up. And our lens our focus on them is crazy sharp right now because of historic issues and not right. being able to, um, to, to really recover, uh, from them, um, or, or demonstrate what they're doing. I, there is something else that I think I tweeted about this the other day that, uh, Steve Ells, the, um, the CEO of Chipotle said, you know, we like, you know, in, in the world of superlatives, um, you know, we've all, all the best, you know, cutting edge food safety, uh, systems. So, so, you know, everything's good. <laughs> okay. Worry. Good. Good luck with that. Don't worry. Don't worry about us. It's, uh, you know, cutting, we're cu- cutting edge. All right. Big, well, that's good. Go for it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, on, on the zero risk, uh, I want to, uh, also highlight something for you. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, an interview with, uh, the, uh, WBUR news did, um, it, 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 with a guy named uh, Jack Gilbert, who wrote a, a book called 
Dirt is good. The advantage of germs for your child's developing immune system. Okay. Um, dog. Is Ben is 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 dirt good? Dirt, yeah. I mean, I'm indifferent to dirt. It's good, bad, whatever. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Know. I don't. I, is it? Is it? I think pathogens are bad. I think I would agree. I think that uh, dirt with pathogens is probably not not good. Um, yeah. But dirt, dirt. Let's say, let's go down the list. Food with pathogens, also not good. Not good. Um, uh, packaging with pathogens, not good. Um, kitchen counters with pathogens, not good. Yeah, pretty much. I think the universal feature there is pathogens, not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. Uh, I, so anyway, um, he says it's good, but I want to highlight something in, in this interview with him uh, mm -hmm. about your, your favorite topic you made, you made uh, famous. Uh, the five second rule. Oh, so yes. So they ask him, "How about the five second rule?" And you're gonna like you're gonna like his answer until the end. How about <laughs> the five second rule? The idea. This is the questioner. The idea that if something falls on the ground and is there for under five seconds, it's clean. Um, well, uh, Jack Gilbert says the five second rule doesn't exist. It takes milliseconds. <laughs> it takes milliseconds for microbes to attach themselves to a sticky piece of jammy toast, for example. <laughs> what a great example. Yeah. Uh, um, but it makes no difference. Unless you dropped it in an area where you think that you could be at high risk of extremely dangerous pathogens, which, <laughs> which Don, it, as you know, as you know, in every modern American home is virtually impossible. <laughs> uh, then there's no risk you're doing to your so, child. You're doing so good there. You're doing so, so good right until the end. You predicted it, Ben. Right until the end. Right until the end. No risk to your child. And no, and there's no, it's, I, I mean, it's pretty much impossible. impossible. Virtually impossible. Virtually impossible. I, I bet you, Ben, if I had if I had enough uh, graduate students and enough time, I could find pathogens in my kitchen. I bet you that if you had one graduate student in like a day, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you could find a uh, pathogen in your kitchen. Oh man! So so we got that going on. I got I don't know this last these last couple of weeks. I kind of got a little bit ornery on uh, on Twitter. I I. Um, I, I just, you know, there's some, there's some, not some great stuff out there. I, the fecal coliform kind of came, reared its ugly head again, um, in, uh, uh, McDonald's this time, um, and ice, uh, being recovered with fecal, uh, coliforms, which, to which I responded, this is to Jim Chan, who we've talked about on the podcast. And I don't know if he listens, uh, here or not, but he's a former, um, a public health inspector uh, in the uh, city of Toronto and, and is very prolific and does great stuff on Twitter. And, and Jim, you know, said fecal coliforms and bacteria at McDonald's. And I said, alas, fecal coliform assay is kind of BS when it comes to indicating feces. Um, and then, uh, then Jim's response was just told the cafe staff, don't put iced coffee in with my, in with hands, which I agree. Don't, don't put it in with hands, but, uh, this fecal coliform stuff made me, made me grumpy on the internet again. Yeah, well, we just have to keep just keep fighting the fight, right? And it's like, and you know, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is, except that uh, eventually, I don't know. I mean, we we really need to stop calling them fecal coliforms, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it stopping. So yeah. we just need to. So so maybe we just need to keep telling people that it's it's really a misnomer, and we call it that, but it's not an indication of feces, right? It's just an, it's just this class of bacteria. Yes. Yeah. And and that. I mean, I, I get frustrated with it, but it doesn't mean I don't weigh in on it, right? Like, I think right? Oh, yeah. That's our 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 job, and not, I'm not telling you what your job is. My job 
but I think collectively for the podcast, our job is is to weigh in on this stuff and and to point people in a direction of here's some evidence and and let's let's have a conversation about it. Which you know, come and circle back to the let's not label GMO food stuff and Campbell's and GMA's fight is is really like that you know that thing. It's like okay, well let's not tell them anything about it and they'll go away. No, we we really need to engage and it does take time uh, to do this uh, to do this engagement and it gets frustrating. Uh, sometimes, but that's, that's what we do. That's what we're, you know, that, that if we, if we want to continue to have, uh, science be part of the, the public discussion, we, we've got to be able to, um, have these frustrating conversations. I, I had, I'm not going to, um, uh, mention someone's name, but there's someone, um, who, who I've known through IAFP for a long time, who, who, if, if I mentioned his name, you, you would say, oh yeah, great, great individual, well-respected. He, he actually won a, an award this year, uh, at IAFP. Um, and as I was leaving the hotel in Tampa, um, you know, two weeks ago, um, we had a conversation about this exact thing and, and his, he, he's someone who's worked in the food industry for a long time and, and said, how do we, how do we fix this? Like the internet is just rife with such bad information and it makes me want to just go, just leave it. Right. Like the frustrating part is how, how off uh, you know, off evidence it is, um, and and so we had a twenty minute conversation about about that, and, and and I think you know what he's he said at the end, which I'll I'll, I'll own up. He's like, well, you know, thanks for you know challenging people in social media about this stuff because not everybody has the time or or the aptitude or the interest to do it, and and someone's got to be out there doing it. So so well, and and see the thing has been. Misinformation has always been out there, right? It's just that with the internet, it spreads so much faster, right? Good information and for a lot of reasons, bad information seems to spread or, or sensationalistic information. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it, right? I'm the guy that wrote the paper on the five second rule and and it, it, it lit, lit up because people are really interested in that kind of stuff. Right. And also apparently people really interested in water temperature. Do I think that's the best piece of science I ever did? No. Did I do it in part because I knew it would get some publicity? Yes. Did I do it in part because I think I had something to say about it and, and I can use it as, as a, a teaching tool to engage people? Absolutely. And so, yeah, we need to not be afraid um, to to engage on these things. And it, it is frustrating. And, and maybe, you know, again, maybe we need to take a break from from time to time. But, but you know, we, we it's I think it's incumbent upon us to engage. If we see misinformation, and I've, I've done this, you know, on social media with <clears throat> some of my friends, not, not food safety related, but who've posted things. And I'm like, that doesn't quite sound right. And then you go to Snopes and it's like, oh, guess what? It's not right. You know, yeah. and we had, we had a recent example where somebody uh, just this morning was all upset about something on Facebook uh, about the 100-mile border rule. And, uh, and it's, yes, this is, it's unfortunate, but there, is, there are rules about how people get treated within 100 miles of the border. And maybe these rules are antiquated, but, but – that's not the that's not the thing that we need to be concerned with right now. Yes, it's a problem. It's been a problem since 9/11, probably even before 9/11. Yes, the rules are stupid. Yes, they're archaic. But there's more important things going on right now, and so we sh- we you know and and it's it's prioritization, right? It's it's all about it's all about HACCP and food safety, right? You can't you can't deal with everything all at once, and so you have to focus where. It'll do the most good, and sometimes that's uh, you know uh, posting something 
to inform people. Sometimes it's correcting somebody who's wrong and, uh, you know, and, and pace yourself, right. And take care of yourself and, you know, eat right and get plenty of sleep and don't drink too much, you right. know, and uh, take care of you. Cause it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a sprint. It's, it's a, it's a marathon. Right, right, right. Um, and, and I, I think of our role as scientists in public institutions as different from, from others, uh, who are in the science world who, who maybe aren't able to, to say things or take things on that they see that are, that they think are not, um, uh, don't have their foundation in the, in the best available science. Um, and I, and I come back to some of the stuff that, um, that, you know, Doug, uh, instilled in me as part of my, um, undergraduate and graduate training around media, why we even looked at media analysis for, for a while was like, what are people, where, where is the conversation going? What are people thinking about? And, and there's, I can't find the quote, but, um, Dorothy, Dorothy Nelkin, who, um, was, uh, who passed away actually right when I was doing my master's. And I remember uh, reading about this, she was, um, a New York NYU sociologist who did studied science, society, and media. So, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but said something like the media doesn't tell us what to think around science. It tells us what to think about. And, and I feel like our, that Twitter and Facebook and blogs and podcasts has given us that same kind of voice. It's not like you and I aren't here saying like, Hey, you should do this, or you should think about this, or you should think this, or that your, your, um, your understanding of, this technical issue is wrong and this is right. I, I, I think, I do think that our, our job is to act more like, you know, media traditionally, which is to tell people what to think about and, and go out and investigate this stuff. And, um, it, you know, go, going back to what, um, what Julian mentioned in his, in his message earlier, it's like, um, I'm trying to learn about what's in the, what's behind the food code and how did it come about? That's that, you know, our jobs to help under, you know, understand that, but not to, um, tell people what to, what to think. Well, and, and I've been wanting to say this on this podcast for a long time, but I see our role in academia um, to be uh, straight shooters, Ben, respected by both sides. <laughs> straight shooters. I, <laughs> oh, I love how we appropriate everything from the podcast we love. Um, yeah, straight shooter, straight shooter. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's that's a it's a long rant, and, and I don't know if that's why the listeners listen to us, but... Um, I, I, I feel like we, we, we find stuff that you and I are interested in and we talk about it, um, to, you know, that someone else might also be interested in. It might make them think about it differently. And, and I, I like doing that. <laughs> and, and, and other people job. seem to like it too. Uh, so, so thanks. Thanks to everybody for listening. Um, we haven't made a, a plea recently, uh, to rate and review the show in iTunes. Uh, but please do, uh, we have a, a whole bunch of really nice reviews. Um, uh, if you haven't taken the time to, to rate and review the show, uh, please do, um, because it does help people find the show and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, if, if you don't like the show, uh, send us an angry email and uh, tell us what you don't like and we'll probably ignore you. Yeah. But <laughs> Cause, we'll, cause but we'll we're text about it. for you. Yes, and we'll, we'll, yes. And we'll text each other uh, ascorbically about it. I think I just made I don't know if As, I use it. Ascorbic. I think that's how you say that word. As, yeah. Ascorbically. Ascorbically. Ascorbic acid. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Hey, so I, I, what do you think? I think that's a show. 
I think that's a show. I've been trying to factor in the uh, the intermission, uh, which will be edited we'll out, but I think I think that's a show. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, thanks again, everybody, and uh, Don. I'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, I don't know what time it, we started. Well, I know what time we started. I know it's an hour and 48 minutes in, but. Are you on mute? Oh, no, I'm oh, just you're not backing. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at, I'm just, just looking at my phone to try to figure out uh, when you texted me, but that wouldn't really tell me because I don't know when you when you walked away. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about a show. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I have the audio. This is me. Yep. Um. We, you and I already tried to schedule something for two weeks from today. Yep. And you said you're free most of the day, and I'm free most of the day. I have something, uh, a phone call from 2 to 3, and then I'm getting my haircut at 3.30. <laughs> yes, yes, Don, I've booked my haircuts. It's uh, good. Five weeks uh, apart, six, five that's, to six weeks apart. That's good. I, I, call, I call the barber uh, uh, when I wake up after too many mornings where, like, oh, I need a haircut. Oh, I got a, I got a whole system. I do schedule it, but usually only the same day. This, this is my uh, – sometimes I'm, I'm cheap, and uh, my, my, hair, my hair stylist, I think that's probably the right name uh, for her. Uh, if you book uh, two appointments in advance, then you get 20% off. Nice. So I uh, take advantage of uh, 20% off. Well, I, I just use the barber who's also uh, on the Freehold Borough uh, Council, uh, uh, and oh. uh, I, I, pay him, I pay him in cash, and I give him a nice tip because uh, he's a nice man. Oh, sounds like <laughs> so a, shout out lobby, to uh, lobbying. Joe's barber. Huh? <laughs> you sound like, sound like you're a lobbyist. He's on the council, no. pay him in cash. <laughs> No, because it's, it's so funny. I, I periodically somebody will come in there and say, "Hey, Mike, you're on the borough council," and he turns and he looks at us, looks at him and says, "What do you want to know?" Yeah. This very, very <laughs> tired, very sad expression on his face. But uh, no, he's 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 a good guy. So big big shout out to uh, Joe's Barbershop and uh, Mike Mike Any, at Joe's Barbershop. Anytime you're in uh, Freehold Borough, Freehold highly Burrow, recommended. Hit, hit up Mike's Barbershop. Highly recommended. Excellent. Uh, um, okay, so could we maybe record it like in the morning, like uh, like ten or eleven or something? 
on the tenth. I have. I, I have. Oh, I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing my good friend Oleg at nine o'clock. Oleg. Um, for personal for physical therapy, um, but I could do eleven. Eleven's perfect, and that uh, gives me a three-hour window. All right. FST one thirty-two. Holy smokes! Um, I, I it surprises me every time. Once you're over 100, it's all kind of the same, but it's still like, wow, mm -hmm. we've done 130. We've done a lot of episodes, yes. Yeah. Um, and sorry, we said 11 a.m., right? 11 a.m. Perfect. All right. Good stuff. Oh, hey, are you mm. – this is this is some, some after dark. Are you going to Dubai? I am. Uh, I have told Bobby I'm going to Dubai. I'm not <clears> – <throat> I don't want to say I'm not looking forward to it, but – it's a, I don't know. The older I get, man, the more I just want to stay home and it's a long way. Just, just, just not go anywhere and just, you know, do email and write and do podcasts and not travel. But I yeah, but you. I'm not traveling. I'm traveling in September. I'm traveling two, two international trips in September. Um, uh, international Dubai trip in November and uh, yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll see you there. I heard, All right. I heard it was. It was I heard a rumor that uh that you're going to be there uh the today so i was uh i oh, was like yeah yeah so I'm, yep. i'll be yep. I'll, I've confirmed with bobby so we got to work out the specifics but awesome it's going to be a long flight and uh it's going to be hot those are the specifics don <laughs> all right <laughs> then they, they have air conditioning right and, and things will be late and <laughs> those are those are the three things i can promise you uh about what will, be, what will be late all everything dinner everything. lunch uh mm -hmm. people showing up uh, for your session um, it's okay. They, yeah, they'll be passionate, but they will be late. Yeah, they'll be late. I can I can deal with that. I'm late, so it's. I mean, it's good for me. It works out great. Um, but yeah, cool. Okay. Well, I will. Uh, I'll get this all edited up and uh, hopefully do this tonight. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye.